Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Emily Andrew. Emily is the founder of We Are Mind Body, where Emily works as an EFT, movement and mental health practitioner who specialises in eating disorders. Emily joins us today to discuss her journey from lived to learnt experience and how she works with clients to work through eating disorders and disordered eating using EFT. Hello, Emily. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, How are you doing? Yes. I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's lovely to have you. Um, I have been coming when I can to your Tuesday tap-alongs on Instagram. Um, so I've had a little taste of what EFT is, but I'm very interested to chat to you about how it can work for eating disorders. Um, so I wanted to, I always like to start um, with kind of when people have their own personal experience to maybe explore that a little bit with you. So you've obviously gone from having lived experience to now working in the eating disorder world. Um, so how did that sort of happen for you and what was your experience with that? So it's quite a long journey, I guess. Mm. Um, I originally wanted to be an actress that was my dream that was everything I ever wanted um and I you know for various reasons I ended up developing an eating disorder um in my early teens and um it spanned quite a long time it it kind of morphed from different disorder to different disorder um and I was very functional with it for a very long time, um, as quite a lot of people are. Um, I just saw it as something that wasn't really much of a problem, was just something that I did, something that I enjoyed at times. Um, And it began to become more and more uh, invasive in my life. I'd I'd got to university and was doing a foundation degree in performing arts. And um, essentially, uh, I collapsed. And that was the first time I think I'd really admitted that I I had a problem. Mm. Um, I went through day treatments uh, because I was trying to get to London for that September so it was uh like I've got to get you know I can recover from this really quickly it doesn't matter how long I've had it um but actually I'd I'd lost my nan who was a huge huge person in my life and I was extremely depressed and it just amalgamated into you know being able to manage the symptoms but my body just being done um and I ended up losing my dream and me leaving London and ended up um in in the Priory eventually because you know it just kept going down and down and down um so I I ended up going through a so many losses in such a short space of time and 
having to then go through eating disorder treatment, um, being somebody who didn't quite fit the mould of eating disorder treatment, um, that came with its own challenges. And I kind of muddled my way through as best I could. I had, you know, I was very lucky to have really important help, which so many people don't get. Um, so I had huge privilege in that. But uh, it was definitely a case of trying to fit into a mould and getting the best out of it as I could. Um, and that got me to a place where I was able to kind of go back into the real world, if you like, and try and figure out what the hell I was going to do. <laughs> and um, I I was very, very weak by the time I'd kind of come out of my second stint of treatment after going to hospital. And I looked, I was at a gym, I looked into a room and there were loads of people lying down on the floor and I thought I could do that that looks like my kind of like ability right now and that was my introduction to Pilates and I loved it I Mm. loved what it could do for me I loved the fact that I didn't have to be the strongest person in the room I could re it helped me to reconnect with my body which I think actually was something that treatment never gave me the opportunity to do um so I started off in the fitness industry but knowing that I did not want to contribute to the diet culture of fitness and all of the issues that there are around that um and I did that for a few years and I loved it I loved working with people but I just always knew that actually that I I needed to go deeper um and I trained as an eating disorder practitioner and then EFT practitioner and and here I am so that was kind of a really really speedy look into it but um, (laughs) it's quite hard to put it into an overview (laughs) yeah yeah I always feel really bad when I ask people because and I always really try not to say oh could you give us an overview or or something like could you give us a shortened version because you know it's it's your history it's your journey and I don't want to kind of make it out that you know, it is something small. Um, but equally, I, I always find it so funny. And I've said this so many times on the podcast, how, you know, when we talk about our journey, maybe from an eating disorder to recovery or whatever, when people say it, it sounds very linear and it sounds very kind of, you know, you've got it all worked out into how it was and when you're actually going through it. Like I love the what the I love the fact that you used the word muddled, like you muddled your way through it because I think it is like that, isn't it? Like when you're in it, you have no idea what you're doing. You've got no idea what's going on. It's so up and down, back and forth. Um, but I think it's it's easy to listen to people when they are talking about their recovery journey and being like, Oh gosh, it sounds like they, they had it sorted out and they got it, you know, in, in one fell swoop and it happened, but that's just so far from the truth. Yeah, it is. It's so far from the truth. And I think for me, um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to recover perfectly, you know, like that Mm. was my thing. I was like, if I can't, like, I didn't realize that I, that's, that's what it was. But for me, I, I, I ended up the, the thing that got me so poorly was, um, having bulimia and I, I would be so strong on if I mess up that's it I've relapsed this is you know and I had these really black and white traits of what recovery was and what recovery looked like and the minute 
I realized that actually there isn't a perfect recovery. There, there really isn't a way to do it. You've got to find your own puzzle pieces. That's when things got easier because it was like, well, actually, you know, I, you, this, you know, life in general, it's a puzzle. You've got to get pieces over time. Don't suddenly go, oh, I've completed it, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that some, can sometimes happen. And, and that's, I guess, the problem of putting overviews together in some ways. Because like you said, like people will listen and be like, oh, well, it sounds easy. But the amount of times I gave up and like mm-hmm. didn't want to do it anymore is I couldn't I couldn't count you know yeah but the the fact is whether you're stepping forward stepping backwards or sideways it's still a step and that's the thing you're going to learn whatever you're whatever you're going through whether it's seen in your life as a positive or a negative it's something that's going to contribute to the life that you're moving towards at the end of the day Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I love the fact that you brought up the idea of perfect recovery, because I think that is so unbelievably common in the fact that people aspire for that perfect recovery. I mean, what even is a perfect recovery? Um, I think it's very sort of glamorized on social media and stuff like that, but everyone's recovery is going to look different. And, you know, what you said about maybe sometimes feeling like you know, that all or nothing nature of, you know, I've got to step away from my behaviours completely, otherwise I've failed, where actually it's not necessarily about stepping away completely. It's about having compassion for yourself if you do engage in a behaviour and how you pick yourself up after that and how maybe next time you you manage it differently. Um, and it's interesting that you, what you said about, like, um, you know, the fact that whether you take a step backwards or a step forwards, like it's still a step or sideways or whatever um because I had a therapy session today myself um and we were talking about um you know one of my biggest concerns is that I have recovered been in recovery before and now I'm in a relapse and I've still gone back to this eating disorder like why have I gone back and that's a concern for me and the therapist said you know it might be that you just still had some things hanging on and you needed to get to this point this low again to then be able to really think hmm this isn't this isn't how I want to live you know how you were saying I was very functional before and now it's got to a point where it's it's not really functional I've got to do something about it but you can live for so long with it being functional if you don't kind of completely reach that point of kind of the eating sort of not having a hold anymore Mm. and I think it's okay to to kind of two things can be true at the same time you can you can be free from eating disorder thoughts behaviors and you can still be aware of certain Mm. coping mechanisms and strategies and I think that's that duality of it is really important and I think something I haven't really spoken about actually I did at the time but only on my Instagram stories but when I was pregnant um, I've got an 18 month old when I was pregnant I got really really bad morning sickness and that brought up so much stuff for me that I had to mm. you know it was nearly well it's, it's 10 years since I was in the priory this year um, so it was, you know nearly 10 years and that sickness brought up so much fear 
for me because I was like oh my gosh what if this starts something you know but it you it's about being able to to step back and go okay right I'm safe right now what do I need to do what do I need and and I think that that's the thing like it's it's something that is always going to be a learning process and and even you know however many years on from not engaging any in any eating disorder behaviors you know working in this space that I get to work in I still had to go I need I need some help like mm-hmm. I just need somebody to talk to because I'm I'm a bit worried about this and that's okay yeah, yeah. but that's how I see recovery or, or sort of being in a place of being recovered is it's you know acknowledging when something difficult comes up but asking for help with it or you know using a different coping mechanism or seeking support rather than you know just okay well that that's come up that was difficult so yeah that behavior is probably my answer um and that's the only thing I can sort of see I think that's where I see the line is one is leans into the behaviors one leans into the kind of support that you've built along the way through recovery that's much more beneficial to you long term yeah absolutely and the more you lean into that alternative behavior the easier it becomes and eventually it does become second nature Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so you you mentioned pilates um when you were was that when you were in recovery or was that when you were sort of through recovery in a recovered position so I had basically come out of day treatment for the second time so I'd I I went day treatment hospital day treatment um and I I wouldn't really say I was in I I guess I was kind of in recovery but I I basically ticked the boxes to be allowed out essentially um I still was definitely engaging in behaviors that weren't helpful for me um I think my relationship with alcohol became a little bit of a coping mechanism um and so I was kind of I I don't really know what I'd classed it as I was technically in recovery but I was still definitely trying to figure things out Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so it was it was in that time really when I began to that was when I really started I think I think that's when the work really started because I didn't have that uh, support. So I had to go, okay, well, what do I want my life to look like? And some, most of the time I had no idea. I was just like, this might be fun. Um, but, you know, I went back to, after having to leave London, I went back to my previous performing arts course and finished my degree and worked at the gym and ended up te- learning how to teach Pilates. So yeah, it was in that kind of mid, like mid bit, I guess. Yeah, I find it interesting when you said there about like you not sure whether you're in recovery, but you were definitely still trying to think, figure things out. Like, I don't know, but that that to me is what recovery is. It's just a constant kind of oh god, what the hell is going on right now? And I'm, I'm working through this. Um, but I'm also kind of interested if if you're okay to talk about it in what you said about alcohol being a coping mechanism was Mm -hmm. that something 
I'm, I'm interested as to what that sort of provided for you. Was that kind of as an alternative to the eating disorder or was it kind of an, something as well when you were in recovery that you mm -hmm. leaned into? So when I was, before I ended up in hospital, I was drinking a lot um, mm. through my kind of behaviours. So um, I would drink concurrently with eating um, on very, very big binges. And obviously mm. I, I would then end up purging. And I got to a very, very bad state, which is why I ended up in hospital because my potassium levels were so low. Um, and when the eating disorder behaviors kind of were, I, I, you know, I couldn't do them anymore. The drinking would still continue. So sometimes it would just look like just not wanting to think, not wanting to feel. Mm. So I'd just drink so that I would, you know, it was, it was the attitude towards drinking more than necessarily the amount I was drinking or when I was drinking, it was what I was looking for. And essentially, I was looking for an absence of just being. I just mm. couldn't switch off in any other way. But the issue with that would be that I would overdrink and then I would be sick because I was drunk and felt awful. Um, so it, it kind of subtly fed the eating disorder for a while. And I would probably say it spanned a few years. You know, even when I mm. first started going into my teaching and I thought that that would be that was kind of normal behavior. Um, I wasn't drinking every day. You know, it's the traditional kind of, you know, I didn't drink in the mornings. But my relationship with alcohol <sighs> definitely it became I think I saw somebody on um, on Instagram. He talks about it a lot. And she calls it like drunkorexia, where you just like drink instead of eat or you drink and just trying to it's that absence because it's a coping mechanism at the end of the day um for many people and um yeah and and I think that because it was a more acceptable one I was like well it doesn't really matter um but it made me miserable and it made me anxious and it was just it was a really difficult way I think it was a way really for me to maybe have like a toe in the door of that disordered eating relationship um but for many years I convinced myself that that was okay and um you know and I think I think that it sometimes is quite common because when you get out of really disordered restrictive eating you almost go okay well I can go out all the time and drink with all my friends and and because my eating disorder didn't used to let me do that and mm -hmm. it kind of then can sometimes turn into something a little different um which yeah it's it's an interesting one at the end of the day it's it's just another relationship to that I had to then unpack I mean I'm three years and nine months without touching a drop of alcohol um and it wasn't I didn't quit because of those reasons because actually it, it that kind of did settle down a little bit but actually it just didn't doesn't make me feel that great and mm. I wanted to see what it would would be like um so yeah learning curve always learning basically yeah yeah absolutely this is the thing it's it's continuous learning isn't it and I don't think that um it's spoken about enough in sort of the eating sort of community about alcohol um but it's well it's not funny but I the only thing I remember from school being taught about mental health was 
drunkorexia. I don't know why that's the only thing I remember, but I always remember it um, in my PSHE lessons. But um, I think it's it's very interesting what you were saying because, you know, alcohol naturally does it kind of takes you to another world and you do lose a bit of inhibition and maybe a little bit of the worry that, you know, that anxiety when you're drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, but like you said, the anxiety the next day, if you're hungover and things like that, it's, it's so much worsened. But I think what you were saying about the normalization of it, um, is something that I have found. So I always think about it, um, how bizarre it is of the sort of normalization of the quantity of drinking. Like I think for the older generation, you know, sort of my parents age, um, that it's not abnormal to have, you know, a drink every night when you get home from work and you've had a stressful day. I don't necessarily think that is so common for people my age. However, you know, every weekend going out and having several drinks with your friends is so normalized, but I don't think we really talk about why are you doing that? You know, genuinely, if it's because you want to go out and have a good time with your mates, then that's great. But can you go out and have a good time with your mates without the alcohol? And I think that's often, you know, whenever we think about any coping mechanism, what's your what what are you like when you can't have access to that um and it's definitely something that i've been noticing recently is that the eating disorder has made me feel a bit disconnected from my friends or from my partner or whatever and having a few drinks just loosen me up um but it also kind of feeds my appetite so the eating disorder it's kind of a win-win situation for hannah because she gets to hang out with her friends but the eating disorder is also happy and it's very dangerous and i'm really trying to recognize when that's coming in um which is why i think it's so important to talk about because it is so normalized and also i think your eating disorder can trick you because it can be like oh well we don't normally have alcohol so i'm letting you off but actually Mm. it's developing another coping mechanism that's really not really not a good one to lean into Mm. and I think it's about I think with all all of it just about that balance like I'm I think I I I don't necessarily go like um promote being alcohol free because I think that you can then you know if you if you come if you're if you're especially if you're somebody who does come up against restrictive eating disordered eating eating disorders those set of rules can be like okay well I'm just going to jump from Mm. one set of rules to the other that's why quite a lot of anorexia kind of turns into orthorexia or you know there's Mm -hmm. lots of safety in rules restrictions so I'm very careful not to go I think that everybody should not drink but I think like Mm -hmm. you said it's the relationship um often it's not necessarily about what's out there it's about how we take it so Mm. you know if you look at diet culture for example I mean it's not the greatest thing in the world it's not my favorite thing in the world at all but essentially (laughs) it is you know it's ideas rules um it's different ways to look at something but it's how you approach it same with alcohol people will present it in certain ways but it's the way you approach it that it matters and it's your relationship that matters so I always kind of say the balance is 
is the best bit for you, for anybody. And for me, I purely don't drink just because I just, I kind of can't bother. <laughs> um, yeah. Will I ever drink again? I don't know, maybe. Um, mm. I, I'm not doing it to be sober. Um, but generally, like genuinely, since quitting drinking for me, my life has changed for the better. And I think I'm a better person for it. Mm. And so for me, that's all I need to know if something's a good decision for me or not. Mm. Yeah. And I think you've knocked the nail on the head there, haven't you, in terms of it's got to be what's best for you, for your individual lifestyle. And I think it's interesting what you were saying about the sort of restrictive aspect of that. And it's very much, again, the all or nothing sort of thinking. Sometimes we can go from one thing to the next. And I was actually having this conversation with my brother a few weeks back because he um, he's sober. And he said, actually, going from, you know, having, uh, you know, maybe drinking a lot to then not drinking at all is really hard. But the hardest thing is actually to have one or two and then to not have any more and just be happy with the one or two. Um, so but again, like you said, it's all about finding, you know, what suits you, what's right for you. And I think that's the same with everything. It's that individual kind of approach. Um, so when it came to I feel like a comedian you know when they go back to like the joke all the time then they're like okay we've had that conversation so now we'll go back um mm -hmm. so when you were doing the Pilates is that how you found EFT or did that kind of come along as a completely kind of random thing that you found as you were doing your eating disorder practitioner training so EFT came in when I was doing my eating disorder practitioner training. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, they kind of spoke about it as a, a something that could bolster, say, for example, similar to like you could if you're CBT trained or EFT trained or blah blah blah. And I thought that's really interesting. I don't know anything about it, but I want to learn about it. Um, and when I first mm -hmm. came to EFT training, the, I was a bit like, I don't know about this. That was honestly my initial, you know, when I first started learning it, I was a bit like, I don't get it. I'm not sure. Um, because the teacher I had was very um, spiritual. And mm -hmm. I'm somebody who I am very open and I like to explore that, but I also like to have facts and logic and reason and research. <laughs> so I essentially kind of went and I did loads of research. And mm -hmm. the more I learned about it, I the more I kind of went, oh, actually, this is something that's really could be really great. And then the more I work, you know, as I did my training I did um we had as part of the training you have to do 50 hours with at least 25 different people okay. and I just opened it up to everybody I just kind of said free sessions whatever you know you want to work on um come and come and work with me essentially and um I met you know I, I worked with so many different topics and aspects and the more I did EFT the more I was like, this is exactly what I was supposed to do, like mm -hmm. exactly what I was supposed to do. And 
that certainty was just wonderful because although I know that I've always wanted to work in the disordered eating space or the eating disorder space in some way um it was always my passion my drive that's why I kind of went into the fitness industry at first because I was like well this is how I can start to make a difference here um it wasn't really until I found EFT that I was like oh, I get it this is this is it now this is the thing so yeah <laughs> They're so good that you found your thing. I love that when people are like, yes, this clicks with me. Um, so I guess for people listening, EFT doesn't really give much detail of what it is. Um, so would you mind explaining what it is? Sure. So EFT, it stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. Um, it has been around since the 90s. It's also known as tapping because essentially what it does is what you do is you stimulate acupressure points on the face and the top half of the body and um, it's a combination between the somatic which is obviously the body the tapping process and cognitive so it uses elements of exposure and cognitive like rewiring if you like and it, it essentially combines the body and the mind together so it started from something called tft which was predates EFT, uh, but TFT was very confusing in terms of it was certain. If you, so, say for example, you came to me and you wanted to work on a phobia of water, uh, there would be a certain pattern to follow, certain points to touch or hit, um, and it it got quite confusing, um, and it was extremely expensive. So, this engineer guy who was really interested in self development came and he trained in TFT and he just thought actually I can make this a bit simpler and that's how EFT was born um so he wanted to make it as accessible for everybody as possible so he uh, kind of kept his training really low cost um it still utilized the tapping of the of the acupressure points but it didn't have a specific you know you have to tap here if you're angry or here if you're sad mm -hmm. um it, he just did them all essentially do them mm -hmm. all all the time um and yeah it, the obviously as time has gone on they've done a lot more trials um because if something is going to come into the therapy space obviously people want to know what the what the actual proof is that it works mm. because you can have it something working in front of you and, and anecdotal evidence but it's not quite the same as clinical trials so for the past 20 years they've been doing various research clinical trials on it um and we've got to a point now where EFT has hit all the markers to be approved as evidence-based by the American Psychological Association. Um, it is under review now at the moment. So um, it's it's hit the seven essential criteria that needs to be met in order mm -hmm. for uh, something to be classed as evidence-based, but it's just a case of kind of getting it actually through. So it's a really exciting time for EFT because you know, once it's ticked off as evidence-based, it's going to become a lot more well-known. Um, quite a lot of people have heard of EMDR because of Prince Harry doing it. That's I've the, heard that. Yes, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, EFT and the MDR are quite similar um, mm-hmm. in the way that it 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 works. It's kind of they're both seen as almost like the fourth wave of therapy because okay. we're going back into body and mind, mm-hmm. um, whereas CBT and um, and and kind of those and DBT and and that kind of thing is all very much based in your brain and yeah. working things out and noticing patterns, changing thoughts and and changing behaviors. Um, whereas with EFT and and the MDR, it's it's more kind of connecting the two together. Mm. Um, so once it's it's kind of approved, that will most likely mean that there'll be more funding for even more research. Um, it's been shown as more effective in some studies than CBT. Um, wow! And it's yeah, the the research of it is really really impressive so it's it's mm-hmm. very exciting time to be yeah an EFT practitioner or hearing about EFT yeah yeah that's super exciting I think um I am so for getting all of the sort of therapeutic approaches we possibly can you know approved and and readily available for people because I know CBT has its place and it can be great for some people but for a lot of people it doesn't work and you're kind of then left thinking well what's next for me whereas I was lucky enough to be able to go private and have EMDR and I actually went for body dysmorphia and it it completely like transformed my kind of view of myself it was absolutely incredible um did Prince Harry have it because of being a soldier or I think he had it I, I only saw it briefly and I th- I can't remember where I saw it I think it might have been on there on the Oprah thing he was getting mm. he was doing it he having EMDR done I think it was about his mum right yeah so because I know been... that um, um like in America all of the soldiers my therapist told me that when kind of they go for therapy for um PTSD and stuff they they're they're always asking for EMDR because it's the thing that's known to work. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I mean, in, in EMDR, you do do sometimes you do what well, I had it during COVID. So I started with like the visual stimulation, which I found really useful. And then I did it where you tap on your chest. So that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? With the, like the acupuncture points and um, working through that. So how does it work in terms of, you know, when you're tapping, are you saying things or are you thinking things? How does that work? Yeah, so I guess if I, and this will go a little bit into how it works as well. So when mm. EFT first came along, it was all about rebalancing energy in the body. It was very much like a energy thing because um, it works based on, from acupressure, which is obviously the meridian system. And it it was seen as something that was you know energy psychology and and it is in in some ways however um with what we with the research that's been done um not only have they been able to prove that there is such a system in place it's not just energy they've also been able to look at the effects of EFT on the brain um mm. so it reduces cortisol and um, can affect six genes that are sort of responsible for um, stress syndromes and symptoms. Wow. Um, it can help to reduce PTSD um, in some cases completely. Um, it's very quick. 
And uh, essentially what the tapping process itself does is it helps to talk to the stress centers of your brain. So you've got Mm -hmm. your amygdala and your hippocampus, they're responsible to decide if something is a threat or not. And if we're feeling anxious, if we have certain triggers, then essentially the amygdala takes over and we get that stress response. But the tapping process itself helps to reduce that response. So you've got lower levels of cortisol that continue to stay low as well. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just a you do it and you feel okay for a minute. It can actually help to deregulate certain kind of triggers Mm -hmm. in the brain. Um, so that, that tapping process helps to, to calm the brain, calm the body. Um, it's got really amazing effects on things like gene expression as well that they've Mm -hmm. been able to show. Um, but the actual speaking element of it helps to, um, bring that kind of connection in. So not only are you just able to calm, you're also able to clearly kind of move through certain issues that you may be facing um and one of the best things that i think well i think is one of the best things about it is it's extremely safe so if you're working with ptsd or certain traumas things that are too big to talk about you don't need to Mm -hmm. so there are safe techniques that keep the issue that you're dealing with far away from you or you know you don't have to speak about it it's very safe and it doesn't re-traumatize so it means that you can work with really sensitive issues without a needing to let the practitioner really know what they are you know you can contain them I've I've worked with people where I haven't known what we're working on necessarily until the end wow Um, and uh because sometimes when something really awful has happened, you cannot talk about it. It's too mm. much. Yeah. It feels too much. So being able to access, you know, the thoughts, the feelings, like you know what you're experiencing and that's all that matters. Mm. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to know everything at all. It's because that may not satisfy, you know, it might satisfy a need of for information that I may have. But if that's not going to help the person that I'm working with, then mm. that's not helping, is it? They know yeah. what they're going through. They know what they're dealing with. And that's the thing that's important. So the you can kind of use it in, in really safe ways so that, you know, somebody can be can be working through issues um, and, and in a really effective way that is quite quick, but it's gentle as well. Mm. Um, so what you would currently do obviously with the with the trials we use something called clinical eft which is basically the standardized version of it doesn't mean that if you miss a point or if you don't say things that it's wrong or it's not going to work like we know that it does because of you know all of the different kind of um anecdotal evidence that there is out there Um, But clinical EFT would basically bring the issue that you're dealing with into focus. And then you would tap through the points using a reminder phrase. Um, And that just helps, again, just to, it's a little bit of exposure, I guess, because if you were talking about something that, say, wasn't traumatic, then you would be talking about it using the words, noticing what's coming up in your body. Um, and, And that's kind of, really important because if it can be as specific as possible then that's 
ideal, essentially. Um, so I realised I was about to go on another tangent about the research then, but I'll let you take the No, take the... go for it. No, I was only going to ask, um, you know, is, has there been any research in eating disorders? So please, you know, tell us more about the research. It's, it's fascinating to hear about. So that was what I was going to go into next, because obviously this is the focus of our chat, is eating disorders. So um, the leading researcher for EFT has her roots in eating disorders. So mm -hmm. she is very much eating disorder informed. She actually found out about EFT during a group session um, of eating disorder. Um, you know, somebody went and was having a panic attack and um some the, the guy she was with who had been trying to tell her about this tapping thing that he had been doing and that it was really cool um he took her out and she came back in she was absolutely fine and um so much so that the researcher her name's peter stapleton um she's an australian researcher thought that the guy had given her some kind of drug because this woman was just calm again um and anybody who's been in eating disorder treatment you could probably tell you could probably remember a time where you know you've either gone for lunch out or snack out or something and somebody's had a complete meltdown and it's just been mm. totally stressful for everybody it was that kind of a situation but that person came back in joined the group again and was very calm so oh. um the i but that being said what i also have to say is that a lot of the research that's been done into um eating behaviors has been looking at obesity so obviously that's where the money is and um, <laughs> a lot of the work has all gone into um, the food cravings research and it's been very effective um, they've been able to kind of show that with food cravings that the food cravings have kind of been reduced by 74 percent which is quite a lot wow. the the outcomes of it have been really good um, but this is where I kind of take a slightly different stance because I think that there's a lot of EFT um, practitioners out there who aren't eating disorder informed. So we'll use that information to then sell weight loss and, um, you know, that kind of thing, which we know that there can be a huge issue with. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first came across the cravings work, in my training I was really against it because I just thought this is just diet culture in disguise um I don't you know it's it's promoting weight loss because it's promoting restriction of foods etc 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 um and I was really skeptical about how it could be useful in in the work that I do mm. with more research and doing more of the kind of the work with it actually cravings work can be incredibly powerful for things like binge eating and bulimia um i wouldn't recommend doing cravings work if you deal with a, a, a kind of uh dealing with anorexia because although it won't over it's not it's never going to override your hunger which obviously is good <laughs> because we need our body to, to it doesn't change the way that your body works your body will still need food your body will still get hungry you know it's it's, it's um it doesn't change any of that but obviously it if, if it goes if, if you start kind of 
you've got an EFT person who goes up to uh, somebody who is anorexic and goes, oh, I can reduce your cravings by 74%. And that's extremely, extremely awful. Um, yeah. Yeah, as you can imagine. However, the flip side of it, and, and like I said, I've kind of been, I, I, and I've spent so much time looking into this because I think that to be able to work ethically is so important. Um there is a purpose for it, but actually I'm I'm more interested in how EFT can help with things like fear foods, um, mm. things like, you know, we know, we're pretty sure most people have predisposing factors to having an eating disorder that might be personality, etc. And there's usually a precipitating event, which could be trauma, or it could be, you know, it could be something big it could be something small and the way that EFT can work it can work as an in the moment thing so if you're thinking about cravings for example um or let's take anxiety so if you're anxious and you're working with EFT you can go from feeling very very anxious to not anxious at all okay so it can work in the moment which is brilliant but actually what we can also do with EFT is we can go deeper so we can look at the eating disorder and we can understand why it's there and if you imagine it on a table okay so if eating disorder is on a table if it is an eating disorder say for example binge eating and somebody is doing lots of cravings work just trying to figure out I want to reduce my extreme cravings but they're still not going and eating regularly they're still kind of coming up at things with restriction etc etc there is always going to be that element that's not going to that's not going to change however if they're looking at the cravings and they realize what the cravings are serving which is often it can be a multitude of things it could be um for example connection with a certain person it could be memories it could be you know we we have food and our emotions are very much locked in together and that's, there's nothing wrong with that at <laughs> all. But it's when it gets a little bit distorted and it becomes overwhelming urges when we're, you know, when we're, when it's becoming problematic for us. So that's one element of the table. That could be a table leg is working on the cravings, but really working on them deeply. And the other elements of those, that table, that eating disorder table could be trauma. It could be um, certain uh, experiences. Um, even just memories or feelings. And if you can work on those core issues, those core beliefs that are holding that table up and you can tap through them, you can reduce the intensity, you can help to kind of unlock that patterning, you knock the table leg out and the table falls down. Mm -hmm. So that's how EFT works with things like anxiety and stress and PTSD you try and find the core beliefs the core issues and you work through them so it's not a whole you know you only need to do FT of course you have to still make sure that depending on what eating disorder you're dealing with or whether it's disordered eating or eating disorders you know making sure you're eating regularly making sure that you're getting that nutritional rehab and and getting those aspects all of those different aspects in but EFT can be an amazing tool that can help to reduce the 
um, the kind of the stress of the eating disorder, mm-hmm. but it can also work much deeper on, you know, traumas and, and initial uh, kind of precipitating factors. Mm. I think it's so, amazing that it's kind of such a diverse approach in terms of it being something that, you know, if you're in a panic, you can use there and then, but equally it can be something that can dig deeper to find out, you know, like you were saying, those core beliefs. Um and I also like the fact that you said, you know, it, it's not something that should be done in isolation. And I think that's the same with everything. When you're going through your recovery, we're very quick, I think, to sometimes be like, okay, well, you'll have this one form of thing that's going to help you. Whereas actually it's so important to get all those different elements because everything covers different elements. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just amazed, actually, that it can it can be something because I think that's brilliant as well in terms of something that you can take away with you, you know, rather than just talking things through and working out, you know, this was the thing that affected me and that's my core belief, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, well, what do I do with that now? Whereas it's almost using the EFT to work out what your core beliefs are. And then, you know, when you've left the room and you're in a challenging situation, you can then use that skill that you've already developed within EFT to navigate that. I think that's brilliant that it's something you can take away with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I find it such a useful thing to learn or to to, to mm. be able to kind of pass on because, you know, with my clients, we use it deep. We go deep in session. And a lot of the time, sometimes I think, we feel like we have to figure it all out. We have to figure exactly why we've got an eating disorder. We have to figure out exactly why we do the things we do. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't have to know exactly, but what EFT can help to do is it it can help to kind of, sometimes it doesn't matter. But if you can uncover something that maybe you hadn't thought of before, and you can tap through it then you can reduce the intensity you can reduce kind of how much that plays a part in your behaviors and you know when i work with people in session we would most likely dig really deep but then they might go and use it in day-to-day life if they're feeling anxious if they're feeling stressed um you know fear foods looking at things like um throwing foods away that's a huge one because Either we will just eat it instead of throwing it away or we won't take it because we don't want to throw it away if we can't eat it. Like that can cause a big, big issue. Um, Emotional eating, um, things like body image as well. You can work with EFT with that. And it's just, it is like you say, it's really diverse. and, And the that's why I'm looking forward to being able to kind of fly the flag a little bit more in terms of the the eating disorder and the disordered eating space because we know that it works for weight management we 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 know that it does and actually what I'm quite pleased about is is the people that have so Peter Stapleton who is being who's leading these trials because she's eating disorder informed there is definitely not a sense of this is a diet you know you have to lose weight there is weight loss and there's obviously intentional weight loss which some people will be not happy with and that's their prerogative that's absolutely fine um but 
they're doing it in in quite an ethical way in up in those research studies in those trials mm. which is a really nice thing to see um but i am looking forward to being able to perhaps look into and and kind of explore more on the eating disorder side because i think it's something that could be amazing and for, for people to, to help them yeah. um and it's just a case of yeah getting the word out about eft you know there is no end to what you can apply it to mm, yeah yeah i mean that's amazing and i think it's it's so good to hear like you say that the research that's being done is being done by somebody that's eating disorder informed because often i think eating disorders can be sort of forgotten about in the mental health area like are they a mental health disorder are they a physical disorder like people outside of eating disorders don't really know where to place them and and then people with eating disorders often don't get the treatment that they need because you know there's there's just not that much research so it's really good to hear that it's it is being thought about and it is going to get the right time of day um and i think like you said you know the amount of different things that you can kind of put it to and use it with and one that I liked I think you did a tapping session on was that feeling of fatness um and being able to to work through that and I think you know when those feelings come up they're so overwhelming um but being able to have a coping mechanism that you can use to sort of calm those feelings down um through recovery and and beyond I think is so important because I think often when those feelings do get overwhelming that's when people maybe resort to you know behaviors that are more negative um because of having to navigate that so i was wondering if we might be able to do a little bit for the list obviously they won't be able to see you um but i thought we could maybe put this on instagram as well um because i normally share a little snippet of the podcast anyway so um yeah whatever i'll let you lead the way i'm quite excited if that's okay with you yeah sure so i guess might be good to do a general one um mm -hmm. this one's quite good and and you can apply it if you're feeling quite anxious as well because it's going to be about breath okay and it'll be about kind of coming back to ourselves a little bit which we know can be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes and mm -hmm. and helping just to acknowledge that so um what we're going to do is we're going to start with us are just noticing our body okay so i just want you to sit down or if people are listening um maybe if you're driving don't do this <laughs> just listen yeah let's preface it with that <laughs> yeah please don't do this if you're driving um, or using heavy machinery <laughs> exactly absolutely and um, what we do know which actually we haven't said is that even just watching tapping can affect that brain that stress response and reduce that strain response because we've got uh, mirror neurons in our brain and they can um but yeah it's amazing basically That's so even if you can just watch it is um can help sometimes just to get calm but what i'd like you to do is i'd like you just to take a second and just notice your breathing okay so just notice your breath and just take a breath in breathe out and just notice how easy that feels so if we rate it, zero would be it's the deepest breath I can imagine taking. And 10 is my breath feels really tight. It feels really shallow. Just notice what number your breath feels like right now. Okay. 
and again it's, it's without judgment it's just kind of like okay right this is where my breath is all right and just take a note of that number and what we're going to do is we're just going to tap on the side of our hand so just with two or two or three fingers the opposite side to where your thumb is we're just going to start tapping here and we're going to use a setup statement so our setup statement basically acknowledges the issue or the or what we're looking at and accepts it okay so you can repeat after me if you want or you can just kind of say it in your head and we're just going to say even though even though i have this restricted breath i have this restricted breath i accept how i'm feeling i accept how i'm feeling even though even though i have this restricted breath i have this restricted breath i accept how i'm feeling i accept how i'm feeling even though even though i have this restricted breath i have this restricted breath i accept how i'm feeling I accept how I'm feeling. Good. Okay, so now we're going to go into our main bit. So we're going to take two fingers and we're going to tap just where our eyebrow starts. Okay. And it's not a hard tap. It's not really, really light, just something that feels good. And we're going to use a reminder phrase. So we'll just keep it simple and we'll just say this restricted breath. This restricted breath. We're going to come round to the side of the eye and say this restricted breath. This restricted breath. We're going to come underneath the eye and say this restricted breath. This restricted breath. Coming underneath the nose. This restricted breath. This restricted breath. Coming underneath the lip. This restricted breath. This restricted breath. And then we're going to come underneath the collarbone. And I like to use more fingers here. So just tapping underneath the collarbone, about an inch or so down. Just saying this restricted breath. This restricted breath. We're going to come underneath the arm. So kind of on the bra line or about four fingers underneath the armpit and say this restricted breath. This restricted breath. We're going to come to the top of the head. Again, you might want to use more fingers. This restricted breath. This restricted breath. Good. We take a breath in. Breathe out. And then from here, we just rate our breath again. So we've done one round. And we may have noticed that our number might have gone up because we're focusing on it it might have gone down it might have stayed the same and it's just noticing that so are you are you happy to share your number yeah yeah so where were you at the beginning six a six and where are you now between a two and a three wow okay yeah i really struggle with um with a tight chest and Mm -hmm. that that was incredible yeah. Amazing. Super. So 
Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, I don't think I've been breathing this deeply for, for months. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, that's a brilliant, brilliant number. Um, some people may still be quite high. So I think if we do one more round together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And what we want to do, what we try and aim for with EFT is we try and get to a zero or a one. Um, and that is it's just kind of take it to a zero or one. Sometimes there might be things that block, get in the way. Um, That's a whole nother conversation. Um, So if you do find if you're working on an issue and you get stuck and you get blocked, then maybe either speak to a practitioner or get some advice Um, because it could be that there are certain things keeping your brain essentially trying to keep you safe. So it's like, no, we cannot, we cannot go any lower. Um, But let's just take our breath one more time. And we're not going to worry about the setup statement because we're already in it. So we're just going to come to the eyebrow point. Okay. And we're going to say this restricted breath. This restricted breath. Coming to the side of the eye. There's something blocking my breath. There's something blocking my breath. Good. Coming underneath the eye. This restricted breath. This restricted breath. Coming underneath the nose. This remaining restricted breath. This remaining restricted breath. Coming underneath the lip. This remaining restricted breath. This remaining restrictive breath. Coming underneath the collarbone. This remaining restricted breath. This remaining restricted breath. Coming underneath the arm. This remaining restricted breath. This remaining restricted breath. And to the top of the head. This remaining restricted breath. This remaining restricted breath. And we don't always have to because we generally just focus on it. But let's just finish off and just stay positive and just say, I can choose. I can choose. To breathe deeper now. To breathe deeper now. To relax more. To relax more. Because I'm safe to let this go. Because I'm safe to let this go. Good. Let your hand just rest. Take a breath in. And breathe out. How are you feeling? So calm. I, I, I feel like I could just go to sleep. <laughs> it's so <Amazing>. nice. <laughs> Super. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. So it's definitely something. It's, it's a really great way of calming the body down. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess what's different about it is that we do focus on the issue. So we're not mm-hmm. going, I can breathe really deeply. I can breathe. You know, we would only kind of change the wording when the person is ready to. So, you know, tend what what tends to happen with EFT is you start to work on something and it might be I have this issue. I can't imagine not having this issue. I don't want to not not have this issue Um, tapping through. And then the calmness gives you that ability to think clearly and you Mm. might come up with different alternative ways to think about it. So we'd explore that and then it would just slowly start to kind of relax and let go um 
so yeah it's 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 interesting how it works yeah that's really amazing um I actually can't believe how much of a difference it made um not to say that I was skeptical but I think when you actually do something it it really you know when it actually has an effect you're like wow that is actually amazing you know I'm very much a practical person so tell me the statistics tell me the research and let me do it and then you know I am I'm away um so yeah thank you so much for going through that with us and I'm really excited to share that with the listeners because I think that will be I hope people practiced along at home um and it's definitely something I'm going to be putting in my toolkit to take with me for for situations I guess just a question I have kind of just for my own purpose really if I was to use that in a different scenario you know let's say the feeling of of fullness um would I would I literally be like this feeling of fullness as I tap? Yeah, yeah, you could say this feeling of yeah. fullness. The words don't really matter as long as they feel true. So okay, it could you could just say something like I'm feeling really full, feeling full. And what is really good is if you notice where what's happening in your body. So you might obviously feel my my stomach feels bloated. But it could also be Mm -hmm. like I'm feeling really hot, for example. And just notice it's about noticing, being curious with and and just kind of stating what what your truth is right now. So you don't have to worry about having certain words that are right. You don't have to worry. say if you wear glasses and it's annoying to get underneath the eyes, you can skip that point if that doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't okay. matter which side you use you can use both fingers if you want to uh, generally mm-hmm. children when you're tapping with children you'd use both fingers um and not all the points so you can miss points out just making it work for you is the most important thing there are lots of ways to tap discreetly as well so you've got mm-hmm. finger points where your nails uh touch okay. your skin yeah and you can squeeze those or you can tap oh. on those and you can do them obviously in your pocket. Um, yeah. And uh, nobody knows if you're doing it on a Zoom call. Um, yeah. And that's quite, that's again, if you if you find tapping useful, that could be something that you can take into day to day. So if you find going out to the supermarket, something that's very stressful, going from the food shop, you might want to just start kind of bringing that tapping into into it just to help you to calm and help you to kind of move through that situation as well. And if you did that and then you said in your head, no, this restricted breath or whatever was going on, would that have as much of an impact as saying it out loud? Yeah, so you don't even really need to think about, because you're in it, your body knows what's going on. So, for example, if you're having a panic attack, we I wouldn't say to somebody who's having a panic attack, okay, Right, just say this panic attack, this panic, because they're like, (laughs) no. So their body is feeling it, their mind is feeling it already. So it's just a case of just doing the points and just tapping. Got you. Because you're in it. So you don't have to worry too much about words. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think that is a a relief kind of, you know, if you are in a very stressful situation, you can't, you don't want to... 
I'm thinking you, know, you can tell what I am thinking is like oh, how can I make this perfect um so I'm really glad that you just said that because like I know it doesn't need to be like your body's feeling it so it's fine um and I guess when you're in that stressful situation you don't want to be thinking oh this isn't going to work because I'm using the wrong words yeah, um exactly. so yeah that's that's fantastic thank you so much I think that's such an accessible tool that that people can use um so I'm very aware of the time um, and also now that I'm feeling snoozy after that, I want to go and get into bed anyway. Um, so where can people find out more about you, Emily? Because I'm sure after listening to this, people are going to want to have a lot more information come from you. Yeah, so I'm on I'm all, on all the things. So I'm on TikTok and Instagram and I'm not really on Twitter. I'm kind of on Twitter, but not. So um, it's just mm-hmm. at We Are Mind Body. Um, my website is wearemindbody.co.uk, and I'm I'm doing quite a lot, as you say. I'm doing some free tap-alongs on Tuesdays. Um, I've got a YouTube channel as well, which you can find through my mm-hmm. Instagram, and that's where um, I've got a couple of videos. So I've got a video of um, that feeling feeling fat you know, tapping for feeling fat, so helping you to calm down in the moment. Um, and then I'm just trying to put as much content out there to support people, just getting that kind of information out there. So um, find me online. And um, obviously, if you want to work with me, send me a message or just kind of take advantage of all the free stuff and ask questions there. I love questions. So. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Emily. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and to do some tapping with you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.